<clears throat> the Christmas season started on campus eight days ago. And take a look at the screen. We had over a thousand women on campus. Many of those were hosts or women who were at the tables. And I got to wear a tux along with many of the other men. And it was such a great day at the Christmas tea. We've been doing this for over 30 years. Did you know we had a record number of butlers this year? About 118 butlers serving the ladies of this church. Oh, that was my favorite moment. Wasn't that great? And, uh, you know, young and old coming onto this campus, allowing uh, this campus to be truly a campus for this city. And what a joy it was to see the faces of those who had never been on our campus, who uh, were invited, who experienced the love and hospitality of this church and this community. And uh, I had makeup all over my right shoulder, uh, talks from, from hugs. Why just the right side? It's just like this hug and they just 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 multiple shades just down the black tuxedo. It was very cool. I think I should leave it. No, I don't need to clean it, right? Just, we'll just see what happens uh, as we get in the Christmas season. But, you know, so much is going on in the life of this church. And take the opportunity, not only as you see these pictures, but take the opportunity to think about people in your life, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, to invite them to be part of what God's doing on this campus in this Christmas season. Now, how many of you, show of hands, were here on campus last Sunday, or you caught online Reverend Chris Halverson's sermon. Okay, now, likely you were in the 11 o'clock service, and there was a little detail that he left out just in that one service. Uh, but if you weren't here, uh, he's a retired pastor, been around this church since uh, before it began, and he told this quick little story at the end of the sermon, how there was a moment in a cabin up at Forest Home in 1947 where the Holy Spirit came down upon a group of people, and it changed their life forever. You had Bill Bright, who out of that started Campus Crusade. You had uh, to Calverson, his father, who did tremendous ministry uh, as a Senate chaplain and beyond. You had Louis Evans Jr., who planted this church coming out of what God did in that cabin. But there was another person who was there that day, and her name is Barbara Crawford. Care Crawford's mom on our staff was there in that room and God has used her in such tremendous ways for God's kingdom. And many of you know, she is now with the Lord. Uh, she passed a little bit ago at the age of 93. And many of you have been asking, when are we going to celebrate her life? Well, we've got a date and a time. It's next Sunday. It's at 3 p.m. And it's at what was formerly known as Water's Edge Church down in the South Bay. It's now called New City Church. That's where she uh, was a member. Her son, Bill Crawford, who's Kara Crawford's brother is a senior pastor there. We, we planted that church uh, just under 10 years ago, and it's going to be next Sunday, 3 p.m. Would you join me? Would you join us to celebrate her life? You're going to leave not only blessed, but I'm telling you, your faith will be enlarged when you hear stories of what God has done in and through her life. So that's next week, 3 p.m. You can find out more information if you remember this, bellairpress.org slash bereavements. And you can find more information about that. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up? If you didn't bring one, no problem. There's a red book in the pew in front of you. We're turning to Luke chapter 3. It's on page 834 in your pew Bible. And if you're online, thanks for joining us. Or if you're listening later this week or this year, thanks for joining us. We're in the New Revised Standard Version. That's the translation that I'm going to be reading from. And as you open that up, just very briefly... Even if you missed last week, Pastor Chris Halverson talked about how God has commanded us to invite all people to experience 
this amazing, life-transforming community. We don't just invite people who we enjoy or who are like us or who look like us, but there's a command to invite all people to experience what God is doing in and through this community as the local church. Now, there's a problem, though, because once you send an invitation, you've got to prepare. You've got to get ready. You've got to do things so that there can be the warm, hospitable welcome once they arrive. And so today, we're going to talk about how do we prepare. Last week was how do we invite. This week is how do we prepare. So listen to these words. This is Luke chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Eturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make His path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, so keep those Bibles open. Just, just pause here. Hang with me for a moment, because John the Baptist is really this interesting character in Scripture who really straddles the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's like a prophet from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament. We get to see here in a moment that he actually fulfills a prophecy that was originally written in the book of Isaiah. And so, straddling these two, it's a reminder that there's been a long journey of what God is doing through His people. And there's a shift here. There's a change here. You see, in the very beginning, in the book of Exodus, for example, we see that God hears the brokenness, hears the cries, hears the oppression, and God sends a leader to rescue the people. He sends Moses. And there's this great pattern that happens throughout all of the Old Testament, throughout all of the Hebrew Scriptures. God sees, God hears, and God sends a representative. First, it's leaders like Moses, like Joshua. And then it's judges, like Ehud, and Deborah, and Gideon, and Samson. And then it's prophets, like Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then, it's, and then it's kings, like David and Solomon. And we finally get to this moment where John the Baptist, kind of like the bridge between the old and the new, is the voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, you've got to understand that the phrase there, the Lord, whenever you see that in the Hebrew Scriptures, whenever you see that in the Old Testament, it's kind of like a placeholder for God's divine name. In fact, I had lunch with a, a friend. He's the senior rabbi at Stephen Wise Temple two weeks ago, and uh, he blessed the meal beforehand. And, and I heard him 
say La Adonai, which means the Lord. Sometimes you might hear a Jewish brother or sister say Hashem, which means the name. And it's this truth that God's name is so holy, so beautiful, so glorious that to even speak it is almost too much for how glorious it is. There's this reverence, there's this deep sense of awe of just the name of God that God reveals, for example, through the burning bush to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh, Jehovah, we don't know how it's pronounced. And so whenever you read the Old Testament, whenever you see the Lord in all capital letters, it's, it's the very name of God. And so here you've got John the Baptist fulfilling this prophecy of a voice saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And then all of a sudden he meets Jesus and he sees him from afar. He says, I am unworthy even to untie the throngs of his sandal. If you ever have any doubt that Jesus is God, look at that passage. The very name of God is applied to Jesus right there in that moment. And growing up, whenever I'd hear this passage, I would think, okay, wow, crazy moment. But it's John the Baptist's role, I used to think, to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. I used to think that was his role, his responsibility, and I missed it. In actual fact, John the Baptist is the voice in the wilderness crying out to anyone who listens, me, you here, you online, he's saying to us, prepare the way of the Lord. In actual fact, you and I, we have a role to play in preparing the way of the Lord. You actually have a role to play in God's desire to redeem and restore and reconcile and to undo the systems of brokenness and injustice in this world. You see, you have a city that you live in that's broken, that's hurting. God wants to use you. And he's saying not just John the Baptist, not just the pastor, not just the pastoral team, not just the staff, not just the volunteers, all of you that see yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got a role to play to bring hope and healing, revival and renewal in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your households, and in your city. You have a role to play. And I'm telling you, you've got an opportunity as you go into this Christmas season to be part of the greatest thing on earth, God's restoration and revival of all things. But I'm telling you, I'm going to say it again, you've got a role to play. And I'm going to get super cheesy. I'm going to go all acronym on you. Role. Four letters, R-O-L-E. You're taking notes, some of you. Some of you, you just have this amazing memory. No, you're not taking notes, Jonathan Bach, because you just remember it, right? Ten years from now, you'd be like, man, I remember that sermon. December 9th, roll, repent. (laughs) Obey. Let go. Expect. When you practice these things, when you do these things, you get to play your role, your part in preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ who reigns, who is alive, to do a work in your life, in your friend's life, in your co-worker's life, and in this city. So first, repent. Most popular word of 2018, right? No. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look. Luke 3. Beautiful word. 
Luke 3, 3, he, this is John the Baptist, went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, uh, I used to think that repentance meant that I had to not only feel bad about what I did, but I've now got to do the right thing. And I kept it wrongly at the surface, at the behavior level. I got to stop doing the bad, I got to start doing the good. I got to uh, stop not doing good, and I got to start doing the good. But in actual fact, that word uh, repentance, let me hear you say metanoia, it literally means not just a change of behavior, but even before that, it means a change of heart. Now, let me back up for a moment with that idea and remind us that Luke here is describing a moment that is the fulfillment of a prophecy that came all the way back in Isaiah 40, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You see, there's this moment where the prophet Isaiah says, and we'll get to it in a little bit, that there's one who's going to come, and you've got to prepare the way for the Lord. You've got to make the path straight. You've got to smooth out the land. Uh, You've got to bring the mountains low. You've got to fill in the valleys, and the glory of the Lord shall be experienced. Now, here's what's amazing. In this moment, there's a change in how God interacts with humanity. Up until that moment, God had sent leaders and judges and prophets and kings, and now He says, I'm going to bring myself. You see, Jesus is the answer for all the hurt and the hopelessness in your life and on this planet. It's not 10 steps. It's not a technique. It's not you drawing from what's within and bringing it out. It's not you actualizing an envisioned future that you want. It's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And see, here's what's so amazing is that this Isaiah prophecy that is fulfilled here in Luke 3 gives an image, an illustration, a metaphor of what would happen when a king wanted to travel to a new land. You see, back then, long before the Sepulveda Pass, uh, long before Century Boulevard, before the, the 110, the 5, the 405, before all these things that I, that you, that we take for granted, there were footpaths. You know how you look in the hills and you kind of see like a, like a deer path? It's from animals, literally, going on the same path, and it wears thin certain areas. And back then, when people would walk from village to village, area to area, they would walk down the easiest path, not that easy, but they would create a path by simply walking through those things. But when a king would come, a king with his entourage, with his army, with all of his might… He couldn't fit his glory, his majesty, his immensity on just a footpath. And so what they would do in the ancient of days, they would send people out ahead of the king and they would plan this out and they would do the hard work of creating a new way into a village, into a town, into a city. Now, to change your heart, to repent is to acknowledge that the footpaths of your life 
The rhythms, the routines, the habits of your life can't contain the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so many of us, what we do is we say, Jesus, oh yeah, I I like you. I'll invite you into my life. And wrongly, we do this by saying, I want you to come into my life on my own terms. I want to invite you into my heart, but on my own terms. You can come in, but take the alleyway through the back at night when no one's here. Because I can't let people know at work or on set or, you know, in my neighborhood that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. You see, the first step that we have to take to prepare the way of the Lord in our lives and in this city is to first repent, to change our heart and to say the pathways of my life can't contain the fullness of the Lord, so I'm going to change, and I'm going to be open to trusting that this King wants to come in, and He wants to pave a new way into my heart and in my life. And that leads to the second thing, to obey. You see, it's one thing to change and to open up your heart and to change your behavior, but there's this life that God invites you to. He designs you. He knows deeply what you long for how you want to be known, how you want to matter, how you want to have significance, how you want to have relationships that thrive, that you would be part of, you know, good things in society. And there's so many different viewpoints in this world. There's no shortage of opinion on how you're supposed to live your life, spend your time, spend your money, what you should do, what you should not do. There's no shortage of that. And when you allow the King of Kings to truly be King, you put Him on the throne of your life. And that happened for me on April 8th, 2000, where after my roommate in college who attended this church said to me, Drew, you are the Lord of your life. And on the surface, you're a pretty good guy. You act kind of like a Christian, so it's confusing for people. On the surface, you know, you're you're nice and you're friendly and you're warm and you're kind and you don't do certain things, so on the surface, but you're the Lord of your own life. You do it so that people would love you, so they would respect you, so that you can get things out of it until you allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to change your heart towards Him and then obey and to follow until that happens. You're not a Christian. And I had to make that, on one hand, impossible, simple decision to change my heart towards Christ and to say, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey it. Wherever you want to lead me, I'll follow. How did I get here? I mean, like, I wake up sometimes and I come up up here, I'm like, what? I'm the senior pastor of the church that led me to Christ like 18 years ago? This is crazy. If you want to live a dangerous life, an unpredictable life, a glorious life, not a safe life, say, Jesus, wherever you want to take me, I'll follow terrifying. And then you get there and you're like, that was better than I ever imagined. Wow, I did not want to step out in faith, in courage, in boldness, but look what happened because I did. Wow. I hear stories from so many of you who say, wow, my life absolutely changed when I stopped just showing up to church. And started to realize that this is a relationship, that every single day of every moment of every decision is an opportunity for me to allow Jesus to be Lord, to be King, 
to open up God's Word and to realize, wow, He's got amazing, not just principles, but an invitation to a glorious way of living. You see, here's the tough thing. When those villages, when those cities, when those towns uh, were willing to greet a king, were willing to receive a king, they had to be willing that certain things in their village and their town would be upended. Boulders would be moved. Things would be made smooth. Uh, Lanes would be widened. Jesus doesn't want to just come in the back door and stay in the guest house. He wants the master key of your life. He wants every area of your life, and He wants to remodel it for His glory. And it's not just a little thing. It's a massive thing. He wants you to be a new creation in Him. And as you invite Him to do these things, it's going to change your priorities. It's going to change your values. It's going to change uh, where you spend your time, what you're drawn to. You're going to have a thickness of skin, a softness of heart. It's going to change everything. But it's not just repenting. It's not just obeying. It's, it's letting go. And here's what's fascinating. Open those Bibles back up. So fascinating. Verse 3, he went in all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, here's what's interesting. You've got to understand, back then in the first century, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they would have to do a number of things, including a ritualistic mikvah, uh, a baptism, a, a cleansing, a, a ritualistic washing. And so, it was common back then in the first century for uh, non-Jewish people to understand, okay, I've got to do something to cleanse myself to belong. But here's what's absolutely remarkable. John the Baptist didn't just say to the Gentiles, those not of the Jewish faith, you've got to be cleansed. He looked at the Jewish nation and he says, you too, you've got to be baptized. We are thousands of years removed from how shocking and offensive that actually was to the Jewish people. Basically, he's saying this, you've got to let go of not just your bad deeds, your brokenness, your sin. You don't just need to be cleansed from all the the horrors of the things that you've done, but you've also got to let go and be cleansed, ready for this, of all the good things that you've done for God. Your pedigree, your works, the things you've done for your temple, your church, your community, those things that you're holding on to are preventing you from receiving this free gift that I'm about to give you through Jesus Christ. You see, it's easy for us to think, oh yeah, I'm forgiven because of my sin, and define that as the bad things that I've done. But many of us, and this is the harder thing, and I think some of us, if we actually allow this to penetrate through our hearts and our minds, will see this as bad news, that all the work that you've done for the church, you've got to let it go. All the things that you've ever done for God, all your volunteering, all your serving, all your giving, all the things, all the the moral goodness that you've done, you've got to repent of that. Because many of us 
we hold on to those things that we've done for God, and we think that it's those things that we've done for God that cause us to deserve God's love. And then that moves us into the lordship role, and God serves us. That moves us into the entitled role. That moves us into the deserved role. That causes us not to be hospitable, not welcoming to people who haven't done as good as we have. Remember that moment where Jesus tells a story of a sinner who just beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? And another person says, at a distance, God, thank you that I'm not like this sinner. And begins to list things that he had done. Even one of those things is not even a command in Scripture. I fast twice a week. That's, there's no command of that in Scripture. And Jesus says, I tell you very truly, that sinner from afar who beat his breast, he walks away forgiven. You see, for bad people, the gospel is good news. For good people, the gospel at first is bad news. What you're saying, all the work that I've done, all that I have, my education, you know, I, I, I don't cheat, I don't steal, I, I'm better than the rest of everybody else. You're saying that that's nothing? I, I'm not saying that's… It's actually what Scripture says. You see, this imagery of the mountains being brought low and the valleys being raised up and level speaks to a metaphor that runs all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Mountains were always the good places, the holy places, the high places, the beautiful places. Valleys were the bad places, shadow of death, darkness. The gospel reaches into your darkness and pulls you up out of it. He also pulls you down off your lofty perch in the highest places and says, let me humble you for a little bit. You've got to understand, you, you know, it's, it's, it's almost so commonly used that we miss the power of it. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And what's also amazing is that up until that moment, everybody who was baptized would baptize themselves. They'd have to cleanse themselves. This was the first time that we know of in human history where John the Baptist says, you need to let somebody else cleanse you. Salvation doesn't come from within. You can't do it yourself. It's somebody else. And he says, I'm just baptizing with water, but there's one who's coming. Unbelievable, all that he points to Jesus Christ. So it's not just repenting, it's not just obeying, it's not just letting go your bad deeds and your good deeds. It's also expecting. Now, take a look at Isaiah 40. Would you open your Bibles back up and go back to Isaiah 40? I can't recall the number in the Pew Bible, but if you get to Isaiah 40, would you just shout out loud? 582, thank you, 582, 581, Isaiah 40. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. This is the original prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, before John the Baptist came and pointed at him, before he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Take a look. Verse 1, comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem 
and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double. Let me hear you say double. Double. For all her sins. What's that about? There was a preacher many, 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 many decades ago named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he gave this great illustration. He said this, now imagine you've been sentenced uh, after a crime, you've been sentenced to uh, life imprisonment. Fifteen years you're serving, all of a sudden something happens, and now you are pardoned. You are set free. Initially, you get out of jail, out of prison. You're, you're overwhelmed at the joy of this. And all of a sudden, as you enter back into society, you begin to realize, oh, wait, there's a cloud that hangs over you. Though you've been pardoned, you're not yet approved. And so you go for your first job interview, and you show up, and you show, show, give them your resume, and then in the midst of that interview, the person who's interviewing you says, oh, this is great. Actually, there's a gap in your resume. Uh, what were you doing in the last 15 years? You're not getting approved for that job. You've been pardoned. You're out of jail. You're not yet approved. Now, imagine if you go to get the blessing of a father for a daughter's hand in marriage. You sit down at that meal. Hey, what have you been doing the last 15 years? Wow. Likely not approved. You see, often when we think about forgiveness, when we think about salvation, we typically just think about being pardoned for our sin. We think about being set free. We use that language. But Isaiah 40 says, no, 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 no. God doesn't just pay for it once. He doubles the payment. He takes care of the pardoning and the approval. You see, what Christ does on the cross is something absolutely extraordinary. The way 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, Jesus who knew no sin, that means He lived a perfect life. He became sin for us. I'll say it in the most straight way possible. He takes your messed up, broken record, and He takes it upon Himself. He pardons you. But more than that, He does something else. The double payment is this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and He gives us His righteousness. I'll say it in this straight way. His perfect record, His love, His life, His perfect justice, always doing the right thing, always saying the right thing, withholding all the brokenness in His life, doing the right thing. Though He was God, He was also human. He was tempted. He gives you His perfect record, and He gives it to you. And the word righteous means approved. You are pardoned and you are approved. You've got a king who does all that work on your behalf, double the payment, double the joy. So therefore, we need to not just repent and obey and let go. We've got to expect that if we have a God who does that, that He's willing to go to the cross for that. That He's a king that wants to come into our lives, not just for us to be citizens or servants, but as John 1.12 says this, all who received Jesus became children of God. You are the king's kids. 
So pray with that expectation. Follow Jesus with that expectation. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to work things together for good because I've called you according to my purposes, Romans 8 says. How many of you were here uh, last week in the 11 o'clock service and, did some, and you saw me do something that I typically don't do and I got on my knees and I began to pray? Anybody, anybody see that last week? Now, I don't do that. Like, I don't go around like, let's pray, let me get on my knees. If you were here last week, you know what I prayed for. I got a text, group text from Shanna Viola. She's part of my small group. Uh, her son, I believe, broke his arm on campus in the middle of the grow hour. So I get up, and I'm telling you, I, I cannot explain it other than this. I felt like when I came up here, it wasn't me thinking, you know, I should probably pray. Because that's what we do, right? Okay, let's pray. You know, I should get on my knees because, well, maybe it's more powerful to do that. I'm telling you, this is what happened. I got up here, and all of a sudden, I'm on my knees, and I'm like, what am I doing? And I literally felt like the Holy Spirit was praying through me. And if you were here last week, you heard me pray, praying for a miracle. God, would you unbreak his arm? I don't pray like that. And I'm like, what are you praying, Drew? And I'm just praying, right? Then DJ tells the story. Shanna's husband, Penn's dad, he's in urgent care. His daughter's broken his arm multiple times. He knows exactly what it looks like to break an arm. There's a photo of it. I mean, I'm looking at this photo. I'm like, that's, that's, right? You felt the urge to pray? You put your hand on pen, started praying for your son. All of a sudden, in the midst of that moment, their phones light up with text messages. What happened to pen? Drew's praying. And the way that, could you, I mean, this is, I love doing this. Can you, can you just come up for a second? As, you're, you, as you've got tears in your eyes, we don't plan this because we're a family. There's no like stage call in time. You weren't here like 45 minutes early. Uh, Shannon, would you come up too? Because, no, no. All right, all right, yeah, all right. So, I don't want to put into words what you experience, but children of the king, child of the king. So, what happened that day? She actually did lose her voice. Um, it's not just a cop out. Uh, as Drew said, we're at an urgent care looking at an arm, looking at a situation we've seen many a times before, sadly, with our daughter. And this little boy has no color. He's sitting there with the arm limp. In pure pen spirit, he's excitedly saying he's not going to use that arm through Christmas, but he's going to be fine. And I simply just got up out of the chair, felt very moved at that time. Not that we hadn't been praying along the way, but there was, it was not in my control. I went over. I kissed his head, I started praying over him, and that's when we started hearing that something really happened in this room, something moved in this room. And in that moment, we saw color return to this kid. He literally used his arm to push himself up the, off the couch. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> to, see what, uh, to see what his sister was doing on her iPad. And I mean, the, there was a vibration just flowing through us at that point that I had to leave the room Rather than hugging my son, I left the room because I was bawling so hard. There is no question in our mind we experienced a miracle. We experienced a miracle that we're thankful for God for, 
We experienced a miracle that we're thankful for this church family for. It, um, it flowed through and did the impossible. It, it unbroke his arm. Mm -hmm. And we from it. Thanks, God. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. By the way, they also did all the decorating, designing, and hundreds of hours of all the stuff here in the sanctuary and the gingerbread. But I did not plan that, but I'm telling you, if you understand that you are the king's kids and you pray expectantly, now don't treat this like a magic rabbit's foot, okay? You can jump right into applying this and be like, oh, okay, what's the technique because I want to do this every single time. Then all of a sudden, God is your assistant. No, that's not what I'm talking about. When you allow the king to be the king, sometimes the broken arm is the king's will. Sometimes the cancer returning is the king's will to allow that to happen. But here's what's so amazing. In Romans 8, it says that I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. Jesus has defeated even death itself. And when you know that you've got a king that is bigger than all of it, that even losing your job, even for the arm to be broken, even worse than you thought after all the prayer, when you give glory and honor and lordship to Him, when you repent and you change your heart and you obey in that moment and you let go and you just expect, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. You are good. You're God, I'm not. You're the king, I'm not. That's how glory is made manifest. You've heard me say that glory means heaviness. That means the heavy, hard things in your life, God's glory is heavier than that and can ground you in it, can displace those other things in your life. Some of you, I know exactly what you're going through. Some of you are public about it. You're writing online and social media about it, and I see you doing this. And you're preparing the way of the Lord through your life. And people are looking and seeing, wow, that's what it means to be the king's kid. Now, I think we've got time for this. I'm going to invite the band up. And I'm just like, not at all following the plan. Can we just do like a minute of who you say I am? I just feel like I need to hear that song again. I need to worship with that song again. That was the song that we sang right before we went into this sermon. And, Bill, we've got an opportunity to be a church that isn't just invite not only others, but Christ into our life. We've got an opportunity to prepare. And it begins with us. It begins with our hearts. Open it up that… The king wants to pave a way right in our heart and through us in this community. Let me pray. Loving God, as we just pause for a moment and reflect on the fact that you have arrived in the flesh and that one day you will arrive again as we live in the middle of these two advents, these two arrivals, would we play our role? in preparing the way for You, Lord, to reign as King in our life and to set the stage and prepare a place in this church family 
for others to come and meet you, Jesus. So may we simply just dwell on these truths as we respond in worship. Amen.